This is Living Faith, the podcast ministry of First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. We are located at 100 North Lake Avenue. Our Sunday morning services start at 1045 a.m. Sunday school is at 930 a.m. You can find out more information about First Baptist Church at fbcap.net. You're listening to our current Sunday morning series, Who Are We? of preaching through the book of Titus and we've been looking at godly leadership and we've been looking at the church and we're going to continue that way and as I was finishing the study on on elders and pastors and and looking at the text of the last couple of weeks one of the obvious questions that always resonates and usually what happens is we we handle something like this on Sunday night in more of a, a teaching setting and it's no I don't know why we do things like that on Sunday night but it kind of tends to be a Sunday night thing and I thought well I think it needs to be a Sunday morning thing uh, the question is always can women be pastors and in a Baptist church, and as we look across the land, some churches have women pastors, some churches do not have women pastors. And so I thought it would just be a great opportunity as we go from leadership in the church and the elder and the pastor that we would look at that. So take your attention to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 12. 1 Timothy 2, 8 through 12. And so the question then becomes... Can a woman serve as a senior pastor and an elder in a local church? Now, I want to say this as we go into this topic. There are a lot of different views. There's really two schools of thought. We'll get to that in a moment. I am not here to to fix. I'm not here to debate. I'm not a debater anyway. Uh, I'm just not a... I, I don't mind arguing. My wife would tell you I'm probably a pretty good arguer. I just have never gotten a lot of good results out of just debating and arguing with believers over things I just get to a point that as a pastor and as a church I just simply say here is scripture and and here as we stand on scripture here is my belief here's my take here's what I see in scripture and, and I just lay it out there and say that you know this is what I believe. This is what I think the Lord is leading us to believe. This is what I think the world teaches. I'm not going out there picking a fight. I'm not going out there debating with other churches. I'm not going out there to say who's right and who's wrong. What I want to do is to be able to rightly say, this is what God says. And as a pastor, it is my responsibility to study and to understand and as a church to say, this is what we believe and this is where we stand. And so let's look at this. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. There's a lot of material here. We do not have time to go into every detail of this text. But what we're going to look at today is the role of a woman and a lady in a local church as an elder or as a pastor. So here's a key text. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. I desire then in every place that men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling. And so as we get into the pastoral epistles... The reason the the pastoral epistles are so important is because it's God's word for us from the Apostle Paul to Timothy and Titus instructing how the local church is ministering, how the local church is led, how the, you know, we've got the writings of Christ, we've got the gospel, we've got the acts, but the, the, the pastoral epistles is God's word showing us how is the church to be set up. Notice in verse 8, the most important thing is that men are praying. 
and they're right before God. And it's a congregation that is lifting up holy hands and know that they are right before the Lord and they are seeking His face. Verse 9 through 12. Likewise also, women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and of gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper. That is a key word there. But what is proper? For women who profess, another key phrase, godliness with good works. Verse 11, here comes the verses that uh, we look at so intently. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. Let me say that that word there, uh, quietly, is the same word that we see up there in verse 2 for peaceable. So it doesn't necessarily mean that they don't say anything. It's the way that they say things. It's it's a, a ministry of peace. And I'll come back to that. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, and here's that phrase again, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. She will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the words in red and so many of our translations, the words of Jesus. But Lord, we're also thankful for the words in black because we know from Genesis to Revelation, your word fits together perfectly. It is right. It is true. It is for our good, your glory. It is for our benefit. We're grateful that you have not left us here alone and wandering, but we have the spirit of God and we have the word of God to guide us and direct us. Lord, as men and as women, I pray that we understand our calling, our responsibility, and our role. Our responsibility, our ministry, our calling, our our role as believers to fulfill the Great Commission. We thank you for the precious gift of your word and your presence this morning. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As we look at the New Testament, we know there are a lot of things that are going on. There is this this cultural uh, setting. What was going on in the culture when Scripture was written? But we also know that all of Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. And so we have to be careful. We can't just say, well, culture was this and culture was that and the Word says this, but it means that. We have to understand that as we read Scripture that it is God's Word, And that if there's any portion of Scripture that is no longer true, that is no longer right or no longer accurate, then we've just totally undercut the the authority of the Word of God. And so a lot of times what we do in, in our modern context is, especially things that may not fit politically or the uh, the political scheme or, or the, the, the most popular thing, the political, let me say it this way, the political correctness is, is we try to take political correctness and we try to fit it in the Bible and usually what happens is we take scripture and we just kind of twist it and turn it and do things that we want to. I think a great example is same-sex marriage. Society has said this is right. And so anywhere in Scripture where it says it's wrong, we just totally do away with it. Now, what are we doing to Scripture when we do that? 
at what point do we stop saying, you know, you take the, the context from last week's message. If we say that an elder needs to be above reproach and that his wife and his children and his family and we, we take the characteristics of a godly leader and we say, well, that was then and this is now, then, then at what point do we have any biblical standards on which we can truly stand as the Word of God? As we take this text, and I'm going to very briefly go, go through this, there was this era in which the, the Scripture was written that women had no rights and no privileges and no anything. And they were almost like in the, in the modern day Middle East. They were second-class citizens, and, and they were treated as, as like property. And so what was taking place was, once they came to become believers in Jesus Christ, guess what happened? They were one in Christ, and they, they had a meaning, and they had a purpose, and we'll get to this word in a minute. They were equal and created in the image of God. And so what historians have told us is that the, the church was the one place the woman had a, a purpose. But what began to happen was is that as the church began to grow and Christians became to be involved with the church, it almost began to be this sense of chaos. And, and in order to offset the, the way that women were treated in society, evidently what was taking place was there was too much freedom and it became to be too chaotic in, in the standpoint of what God's order and responsibility and role was. In that first part of that section, and I'm going to move very quickly because we're not here to talk about how women dress in church. But it says that a woman should adorn herself. Now, that does not mean, well, the Bible says a woman cannot have braided hair. Do anybody got braided hair? We're looking around. Okay. Woo, thank goodness. Sherry did not wear her necklace today. She does not have on jewelry, but you do. Joy has on necklace today. She has on jewelry, pearls. Now we and you could say, well, that's what it says. That is what it says. What's going on is an external. Here's here's things that help keep me in balance. You have external. You have the law. Okay. Externally, it's not about what we have on out here that God is concerned about. It's in here. And what was going on in the church was, even in an early church, it was this, this roles and responsibility, and evidently what was taking place is the women were literally bringing the culture and the world and what that type of appearance, because that type of dress and that type of appearance would not have been one of a godly lifestyle. And what the Lord is saying, and Paul is reminding Timothy and God is reminding us, ladies, just, just be more concerned about the inside than you are the outside. I think we ought to give God our best with our dress and our apparel. I think there's nothing wrong with that. If we want to walk in here with jeans and a shirt, then so be it. Praise the Lord. If we want to walk in here and, and we have a suit on because that's good for the Lord, then so be it. But I don't think we ought to say in order to love Jesus, we have to have a suit on. Or to love Jesus, we can't have. It, it, it's like if I really love Jesus, a woman shouldn't wear makeup. If I really love Jesus, a woman needs to wear a dress. That's the law. That's external. That's stuff I can do with this. That's the way I always like to look at it. That's stuff I can do. It says, women, be concerned about how you dress, but be more concerned about who you are with self-control. But what is a proper for a woman who professes godliness with good works? But then it says, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. We know, and we'll get to these texts, 
There is an order. God is a God of order. God is an art of structure. I always think that. Sometimes I think of things so simplistic. I think we overthink things. You have lost your mind if you do not think there's a distance between a man and a woman. Now, you think about that. If I, if, if I just stand up here and a woman stands there, there there's a difference. You know, they're, they're, for some reason, we are afraid to say that God is a God of order and God and a God of creation and God has a plan and God has a purpose. And I'll go a little further with that. I don't want to take up too much of, of your time because I, I work all day. You don't have to be married long to realize not only do we look different, we think different. And some of that, you know, it's like, there are times that I make a decision to do something, and I'm like, I'm so glad I'm around. <laughs> a woman could never fear. I always tell the kids, you know, if something happens to me, somebody watch out after your mother. She just can't figure things out. And Sharon just will look at me and go, you're right. I don't know anything about plumbing and electricity. And then I'm sure that she talks to the kid. If something happens to me, somebody please take care of your dad. He won't know how to dress or act or cook or clean. I mean, isn't that amazing, though, how God has made us so different? And here's what's so great about this differences. What I need, she can provide. What she needs, I can provide. It's well beyond any physical or intimacy or anything like that. You just think about a husband and a wife and a man and a woman. There's no way in the world. I, I look at the world and say, you've got to be kidding me if you think that there's not a difference. When God created the earth, he created man and woman to come together for a reason. And so I do stand on the premise of Scripture in this context, and I do say, I do believe in God's Word from Genesis to Revelation as we study the role of, of men and women. I do think the position of authority as an elder and a pastor in a local church is reserved for male leadership because that's what I see Scripture teaching. As we look at that text, it's submission, and the key word there is authority. Leading. And I do believe that the leadership in the church should be reserved to male leadership again because I think that is consistent and very true to what Scripture teaches us. There are really two schools of thought. I, I added a lot of information in your, in your bulletin. There's two schools of thought. Egalitarianism, that's a big word, isn't it? Complementarianism. You read that on your own. There's no, no, there's no quiz on that. I have provided you information for the two schools of thought. One is that a male or a female can serve in any position of authority or leadership in the church. One, one complementarianism where I stand and where most of our Baptist folks that we love so much stand is a conservative stand of Scripture because Scripture alludes to that and teaches that. I shouldn't say allude, it, it teaches that. So you take some time today and you look over those. But you, I also want you to read some of those articles and some of the websites that I have available. I have some articles that I have posted on my own personal website. And somebody says, what is that website about? That website is just, I call it sermon notes and stuff. 
If I'm really on top of things Monday morning or by Wednesday morning, I will literally post my study notes for this sermon. And so if someone is looking to get a sermon and, and share it verbatim, they're going to look at that and go, well, this isn't a sermon. No, it's my notes. You get my sermon notes and all the stuff that I've looked at in my study. It does follow the sermon. But on that, I have a, a topical section where I find articles and I put on there. One of the best articles I've ever read about women serving in the local church was written by Mary Cassie. And she wrote an article because she is a gifted communicator. She knows God has called her to a ministry, but she does a great job of writing an article, being a complementarianism herself, understanding that men serve as the leaders and the authority of a church, but she still knows that God is using her in a great way. Oh, everybody needs to read that article. It is a phenomenal article about what she feels she cannot do and what she enjoys doing for the glory of God. So you take a look at all of that in the, in the order of service. If you don't have one, I'm sure we have some left over uh, in, in the entrance and exits. This text, this thought, a woman cannot have authority in the church. What does that even look like? Now, we need to remind ourselves, we're not talking about politics. We're not talking about in the business world. We're talking about the church. Somebody, you'd be surprised somebody, when it first came out. Should a Christian vote for a woman to be president? If you want to. Well, doesn't the Bible say? The Bible's talking about the church. It's not talking about the business world. It's talking about the church. It's not talking about the political arena. Paul says, Jesus said, let render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Let, you, you know, that's them. This is the church. We're talking about the local church. There's things to think about. Is this text relevant today? What does this mean for us here today? Here are five things that I have heard my entire ministry as I have engaged as a pastor. Number one, this is just the opinion of Paul, who obviously when he wrote this was a chauvinist. And so it really doesn't mean that because Paul was having a bad woman day. And he wrote this. And then usually what can be said was, Jesus never said it. So we don't have to listen to Paul because Jesus said it, didn't say it. In other words, we're, we're saying the words of red and Jesus' words in the Bible that Jesus spoke are words in red, that we're saying that the words in red only count but not the words in black. That's dangerous. Very dangerous. So Paul's a chauvinist. Paul just had a bad woman day. Jesus never said it. Another way to, to look at that could be, it was true then, but there is a different day. Today's a different day. Again, we have to go back to Scripture. If all of Scripture is written based on that day, then we've just totally taken Scripture and said it's not Scripture because it doesn't apply today. I think as we read the Word and we study the Word and we understand the context of the Word in that day, it helps us understand how to apply that truth today, but the truth never changes. The truth is our role and our responsibility. It's not about men. It's not about women. It's about roles and responsibility. That is the eternal truth that is here. A third thought. What if someone feels that God has called them to a ministry? Who are we to question? 
you'd be surprised. I know that I'm being called as a woman to be a senior pastor. I, I feel it in my heart. I, I just I prayed about it. I, I believe it. There's no doubt in my mind God is calling me to be a pastor and I'm a woman. We can never allow feelings to take the place of God's word. Again, I use this example a thousand times and sad to say I'll be able to use it a thousand more times. You'd be surprised the number of men that have told me, I know God wants me to leave my wife because I am happy and I have a peace about it and God wants me to be happy and who am I to question God? I am leaving. I mean, I'm telling you, we know men and women are different. Sometimes men are just stupid. They are, they are telling me this in my office with an open Bible in my lap. I know this is what I need to do because I have got a, a peace about it and I am happy and God wants me to be happy. And I'll say, well, what do you think about God's Word? doesn't matter. We get so blind to it. Never let your feelings dictate truth. Another one. Some women are just gifted more than men. You gotcha. But it has nothing to do with being gifted. It's calling. I had a great friend that was a, a Bible college student at college with me. Um, he was an African-American gentleman from the Northeast. And we were sitting in New Testament class at a Southern Baptist college in, in, in a classroom setting with a New Testament professor, Dr. Bill Cook, uh, one of my dear friends. And, and, and he just he, we were going through 1 Timothy, and we were going through it as good conservative Baptists, and we were articulating what uh, the, the, it was reserved for male leadership in a, in a church. And he just he raised his hand. He goes, hey, my, my. he was an African-American church. He was a Baptist church, but they called their, their pastors bishop. Remember what I said? Bishop Beck does have a nice ring to it. He said, I, I got led to the Lord by my woman pastor, Bishop Sister so-and-so. And she's pastoring a church. Now, they weren't a, they weren't a Baptist church like we would consider a Baptist church. He said, I got led to the Lord as a woman pastor. And he said, there are no men in the church and so it took a while for him to pray through that. That yes, God is, I'm not saying that God is not using the gospel, but just because there's no men in the church, we can't decide what we think is best if God has already said. Now how many of us, that you don't have to raise your hand, how many of you have thought through or heard any of these things? I have on a regular basis. But what do we do? Well, I think we realize this is so much more than men and women and what can a woman do in a church and what, you know, I, I, I told you, I got a phone call one time of a gentleman that was in a church in our community that wouldn't have been a, a good conservative Bible-believing church, but some of his friends came to our church and uh, they seemed to be enjoying our church. And literally, he called me one day and said, hey, if I join your church, can I still drink and party? And so my thing, well, now that's kind of silly, but my thing was, it's, it's not about that. It's not about, can I drink and still do these and, and be Baptist? And, and so a little different context. This isn't about 
what can a woman do and not do? So a woman cannot do this and a woman cannot do that. And a man, it's, it's, it's not that. It's deeper than that. It's about what God has done through creation and roles and responsibility. So the, the, the friend, that the, so the gentleman on the phone said, well, it's not about that. It, you know, it, it's about your heart and relationship with Christ. Then the doing takes care of itself. This is so much more than, well, if a woman cannot be a pastor, I'm not going to be part of this church. Or if a woman can, what can a man do? It's beyond that. The church is a picture. The family is a picture of the gospel to the world. I believe with all of my heart that if we look at Scripture in, in regard to this particular topic, we see a picture of God's creation and God's understanding of a man and a woman. You hear nothing else, I want you to hear this. If we don't get it right in the church, it will not be right in the home. And if we don't get it right in the home, it will not be right in the community. When we are having to decide whether or not two women can be married, we're not getting it right in the church because that's not right in the home. And when that's not right in the home, it's not going to be right in our community. We have to get these things right in the church so that our homes will be right and our community can be right and the gospel will be clear to a world that so desperately needs to hear it. So remember this. It is a picture. Our leadership is a picture of the church and of the home and of the gospel. I made a, a list of things in my study in regards to this. We seem to have a, a, a difficult picture today. Let me just read these and I think you'll understand it. We have to get the picture right. Authority responsibility, we need to get this picture right. See if you agree with these. I, I read these in, a, in, a, in studying this week. See if you don't agree with these. Christians do not have the same respect for government's authority. Just think about our generation right now. Citizens do not have the same respect for government's authority. Students do not have the same respect for teachers' authority. Women do not have the same respect for men's authority. Children do not have the same respect for parental authority. Employees do not have the same respect for their employer's authority. People do not have the same respect for police authority. Christians no longer have the same respect for the church's authority. And here's my addition to this list. People no longer have the same respect for God's authority. It's important that we get responsibility and authority and respect right. Because it's clear that in the world that we live in, it's not right. And it's not even the way it used to be when we were growing up. Authority does not mean what it used to mean. Respect does not mean what it used to mean. I just get, you know what outrages me more than anything over the national anthem now? My God is not my country, okay? Can I say that? I'm red, white, and blue. You got me? 
It infuriates me when someone sits down the national anthem just to protest. That's a lack of respect. Your pastor gets in the flesh every now and then. That's one of them. We live in a world we have lost respect that we once to have things that were sacred. If the church does not get it right, the home cannot get it right, then the community cannot get it right. Two key words as we move very rapidly through this text. Write these down. Equality, responsibility. We are equal. Every one of us are equal in God's eyes. But there is responsibility. We're equal before God, but it should be understood that we are made different. With this comes the idea of responsibility and purpose. And I love this word, we, and we're going to look at it in just a moment, we complement one another. A man and a woman complement one another. We are equal, but we each have a responsibility. A responsibility and a purpose in God's eyes. You don't need to turn there, but you can listen. Let's go back to the beginning. Creation and the fall. The text will be there for you. I'm just going to read the text very quickly. I just generally, I think on the overhead you've got Genesis 1 through 3. Look at this idea. We're equal, but each one is responsible. We're equal, but we complement each other. Go all the way back to creation. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Let us make man in our image. We're equal. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. In the image of God. The, the, the idea of what does it mean to be created in the image of God? No, God, when you get to heaven, God does not look like us. God is not going to look like John Beck. That would be horrifying. The image of God is those communicable attributes, love, mercy, grace, those things of God that we can obtain, we are created in that image. When we laugh, when we cry, when we grieve, when we mourn, that is the image of God. Verse 31, God saw that everything he had made, and behold, it was good. Now, is God a liar? No, he looked at man Good. He looked at woman. Good. He looked at creation. Good. It's all good. Man is a living being and he is capable of embodying God's communicable attributes. We are created in the image of God. We are equal before God equality. God's creation is good. Everything God does is right and just and good. Man and woman is good. Being different is good. Genesis 2, verse 18. So we got Adam. Genesis 1, we get kind of a sneak peek of what's going to happen. Now we got Adam. Adam's all alone. Not good for man to be alone. I will make him a great word here. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now if God wanted an equal, he would say, I'm going to make another Adam. He didn't need that. He needed a helper. He created Eve. 
For Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. Verse 20. Verse 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become what? One flesh. Emotionally, spiritually, physically, two pieces fitting together perfectly, a husband and a wife. Man was created first, but not good to be alone. God provided a helper, a perfect fit. Here we get that word that complements each other. Two becoming together to form one. God has a purpose. Big picture in mind. Each one has a part. We are responsible. Genesis 3, the fall. A lot of stuff happened after the fall. Fall messed a lot of stuff up. I don't think we need to scoot through this and not pay attention to this. After the fall, who did God come to first? The man. Verse 9, Genesis 3, But the Lord God called to the man. Verse 16, Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. I'm flying through Genesis 3 after the fall. We get a little indication after the fall that it's going to be a little struggle between men and women. You know what makes marriage jokes so funny? Because they're true. Isn't that right? Premarital counseling, we love each other. They always, why do you always hold each other's hand in premarital counseling? We love each other. They, you know, they, then they get nervous because they're doing it in front of the preacher and they pull their hands back. We love each other. Why are y'all not doing that to your wife right now? And we'll always say, now, I know you love each other. Now, and it's all great. Now, why do we think that's so funny? Because we know it's true. The fall did that. You will have a desire for your husband and he will rule over you. This is what God is saying in the very beginning. It's going to be hard work. It's not going to become easy. She's not going to want to be submissive. He's not going to want to lead. It's going to be something that only through the gospel of Jesus Christ you're going to be able to work through. That was from the fall. It's obvious that it's not something the world's just going to say. A lost person, a lost liberal person is not going to just say, that sounds like a great idea. We're not have the same responsibilities. And a liberal platform is, is stepping away from the authority of Scripture. So if you step away from the authority of Scripture, it just becomes self. The fall created that. It's not something we just naturally embrace because it makes the clearest sense. Now let's move to the New Testament. We just skipped a lot, didn't we? I will say this, as we fast forward through the Old Testament, God used women in a great way in the Old Testament. But Deborah, pretty handy, wasn't it? Don't mess with Deborah, she'll kill you. But you notice right after that, we don't have time to look there. I'll get there, I won't come back. I can't remember the guy's name, but she said, because of this, the glory will not shine upon you. I'm going to do it, but you should have done it. So somebody would say, well, Deborah was used, yes. Do you know there are 700 references to priests in the Old Testament? 
all male. I'm not trying to prove something. I'm just simply stating there's a responsibility that God has in place. Now on to Jesus. I love Jesus, don't you? Jesus did more for women than it was radical. I mean, you think about it, we don't understand what that's like. You talk to a missionary in the Middle East. Women got their heads veiled, they're, they're standing behind their men, they can't do anything, they're kind of off in there. That's, that would have been the way it was then. You know, men got married to, uh, to uh, young, young Jewish girls, and, and they would have just been like, stay in the house, don't do anything. You do this, you're Satan class said, well, here comes Christ. Offering salvation to everyone that, that repents and follows, and he loves them, he walks with them, he ministers to them, he talks to harlots. He encourages them. How radical. That's what the gospel does. Jesus says, no, you're not a second-class citizen. We are all created in the image of God. You have a place. You have a place in the church. You have a place in society. In Jewish culture, rabbis did not teach women, yet Christ taught women, and he included him in his day-to-day ministry. They traveled with him. They ministered with him. Key word, equality. It is very clear that Christ had a great respect and love for women. But yet, he chose 12 men to be his disciples. It has nothing to do with loving women or women being used. It's responsibility and role in that picture again. Don't forget this. If you're looking at it from the, this context, God went to Adam in the garden because he was responsible. That was his responsibility. So when Eve partook of the fruit and Eve took the fruit to him, that was Adam's responsibility. Let me say this, men. Your family... It's your responsibility. It's not that your mom, your moms don't count and all that. I'm getting ahead of myself. But just think of it this way. If God were to visit your household, who's he going to come to? You. And hold you accountable for your family. I love this picture. Jesus is dying on the cross. He looks at his mother. And he looks at John. And he said, will you take care of my mother? He knew a man needed to take care of his mother. And he wanted his mother to have that leader, that godly, that influence in her life, that male headship in her life. John, take care of my mother. If we look at the epistles in the home, 1 Corinthians eleven three, the home, the head of every man is Christ, the head of the wife is a husband, and the head of Christ is is God. Head is, is an authoritative leadership, not a demeaning, demonstrative, because then it goes on to say that we to love our wife, but there's that order, there's that responsibility. Husbands, lead your wife as Christ leads you. Husbands, take that responsibility. Know that you fit together. Get to your spot. That word submission is a military word that means to get to your spot. Do what I've asked you to do. Men, lead your homes. Be the spiritual leader. Your wives are lovingly willing to follow you if you'll take the spot. Ephesians 5, 22 and 25. Wives, submit to your husbands. 
Wives, get to your spot. As your husband gets to his spot, you get to your spot. Wives, submit. We can't just take a white out and do away with these verses. They're there for a reason. They're there for God's glory. They're there for our benefit. They're there for proper instruction of the home. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church. His body is himself Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to the husband. Key word, underline it, circle it, believe it, live it out. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I will say this a thousand times over. The problem in our homes is not the wife submitting. The problems in our home is the husband loving. Love Christ enough to love your wife. Love Christ enough to be the man God is calling you to be and lead your home. I can tell you right now, your wife wants you to spiritually lead that home. That's what you were made to do. Colossians 3, 18 and 25. Wives, submit to your husbands. It is fitting to the Lord. This is what the Lord desires. Get to your spot. Embrace your role. Husbands, love your wife. Do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything. For this pleases the Lord. Obedience is not an option for children. Loving is not an option for husbands. Submitting is not an option for wives. Verse 23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing from the Lord you will receive your inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the church. We've got to get the home right. Husbands, you've got to lead your home. Be the spiritual leader God is calling you to be. Well, I don't know if I can do it. Well, you're saying God's a liar. You can do it. Here's something. I shared this with our shepherding group. And if you're not involved with it, let me just say this. If you're a man... I would love for you to be part of the pastor's shepherding group. That's two words meaning the same thing, pastor and a shepherd. I'm doing a monthly shepherding group where all we are doing is meeting as men and we're being men of God. We've got a topic. We're reading a book on the Bible, but we're going to discuss the Bible. We're going to discuss understanding the Bible. It's not me lecturing for an hour. I'm teaching. We're discussing. We're just being men. We meet the first Saturday of every month from 8 o'clock in the morning to 9.30. We're out of there at 9.30. We meet in adult five. All we're doing as men is learning how to be the men God's calling us to be. That's it. No agenda. Men being men. But notice the church. Those scripture references, 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, 5 to 9, as I've been teaching through. Elders, pastors, leaders, husband of one wife. That's pretty explicit. Men that are dignified. Men above reproach. If a man is to lead his home, then the men need to lead the church. If Christ is head of the church, I want to submit to his authority over my life. Leadership, submission, authority, these terms are all about submitting and bowing our knee. One of the hardest things I see in people's life 
It's almost like a dilemma. It's sad. I don't even know how to explain it. So many people say they are Christians, but so many people have never yielded to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It's like we're afraid to, to bow to the authority of Christ in our life. It's like some reason as men, we're, we're afraid to just weep and be broken over our sin and give our life to Christ and follow Him as Savior of our life. It's like we've got this intellectual understanding of who Christ is, but we don't want to submit to it. Church is something that we do and we can fit in. We don't give, we don't tithe, we don't pray, we don't study the Word. We say that we're a believer, but there's no submission to authority. I think deep down inside, every one of us have an authority issue. Have you ever noticed that? I have a lot of teachers in here. You ever notice that kid that won't listen to anything in your classroom? He won't listen to anything a coach tells him. He won't listen to anything a policeman tells him. He won't listen to anything a parent tells him. It's an authority issue. We all are accountable to someone. You know, one of the biggest struggles that I had I talked to my pastor about what God was doing in my heart. He wants me to be a what? A pastor? You know, Brother Jack, when I read this, I don't know if I see me. I was scared to death of the position that I felt that God was calling me to. How could I be a leader of a church? I'm just trying to figure me out. The Christian life is one about grace and humility and bowing our knee to those that are in authority over us. Here are some things I'd like for us to consider as we close. If you still would like greater detail on this, take that bulletin and, and that Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood is a website you could spend to... The rapture will take place and you will not have read all the articles on that website. It is so incredibly helpful. We understand our sexual ethics in men and women and our role. and It's just an incredible website. There's so much yet that you need to, to read and to grasp. This is not about a man and a woman. This is about the church. And who God is asking to lead the home and the church and the kingdom. We are all equal, but yet we all are responsible. And you like, think of those two words. I want to share with you these things. Male and female, as believers, we are all equal in God's eyes. That's what I love about the church. You can have nothing. If you're a child of God, you can have everything. But you can have everything in the world and have absolutely nothing. The moment that we open up our hearts in repentance and faith and we become a believer, we are equal in God's eyes as His children. And the church is like His family and His body. He's called us to do different things. And, and where there's harmonious agreement and responsibility, that's where you see the kingdom of God go. Number two. As believers, we have to remember that we have been created with God's purpose in mind, not ours. 
this is not about can a woman teach in a church? Can a man lead a this? Can a woman lead a pastor? We just need to step back and understand what Scripture says. And we need to step back and look at the big picture. We live in a world that we don't even know who can be married and who can have kids. That's the most ridiculous thing in the world. I just still can't understand it. That we're saying that two men can get married and then that they can legally adopt a child. Is that not just a slap in God's face? That God created a man and a woman to procreate and have a child. And now we are saying in society that two women can come together and have a child. And two men can come together and have a child. We are a messed up world. It is a big deal that we get everything right in here. A man, you have a purpose. As a woman, you have a purpose. As a man and a woman together, we have a purpose. We need to embrace that and rejoice in that. Three, as a believer, each one of us has a responsibility to fulfill our call for God's purpose. Men, you need to step up and lead your home and lead this church. I think about my home. Here's a great indication of who's leading the home. Who gets you up to come to church, mom or dad? A lot of times, mom's even trying to get dad out of the bed. That isn't right. We want, we want to know why our homes is, and across the board are so dysfunctional because we're not doing what God has called us to do. Often we take a narrow view of what is really the issue. Keep the kingdom view in mind. Stand on the word. To deny our roles is to deny God's word and his will. I've been told that. I've had someone look me right in the eyes and say, I know God has called me to do this, even though God's word says differently. When we say that, we are denying his word and his will for our life, regardless what the situation is. God has and will continue to use both men and women in a great way for his glory his purpose, and his church. This by no means says that only God can use men. I'm going to tell you something. If it wouldn't have been for godly women, a lot of us wouldn't be who we are. Amen? It has nothing to do about what God's going to use. You know, when an international mission board sends out families to be the missionary, they send the family out to be missionaries. Men have responsibilities. Women have responsibilities. God is going to continue to use men and women in a great way in this church, in our families, and for the kingdom. And last, so goes the church, so goes the home, so goes society. Think about it. The fall of every civilization, so goes the home, so goes society. We set a precedent as a Bible-believing, evangelical, gospel-proclaiming church to believe the Word, to live the Word out, to never question it, to embrace it with joy and know that God will honor it. The key is this. We're going to sing about it in just a moment. Men, you need to live for Jesus. Women, 
We need to live for Jesus. We need to know that I believe that when someone gives their life to Christ, God is calling them to do something special in the church. There's no sitting around in the church, by the way. We're called to serve Him. We are called to do our thing. We are called to fit together as the body of Christ and take the gospel to the ends of the earth. I'm from a divorced home. And I look at a mother trying to keep a family together under the the teachings and the authority of the gospel. I saw a mother try to keep a, a rebellious teenage son doing what is right and not turning from the Lord. I see a a family with no dads doing what he needs to do. Does that make my mother unworthy or a a second-class heavens? No. It just means there's going to be a dad somewhere that's going to be held accountable. Women, you love Christ and you pour your life into those things God is calling you to pour your life in. You live for Jesus. Men, you need to stand up and be a man. And be the man God is calling you to be. Shame on us when we can have an excited young man in ministry in one of our Baptist colleges saying, we didn't have any men in my church. All we had was women. Praise the Lord for the women in that congregation. But God help those men. The key is we need to live for Christ. Trust his word and get excited about taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Let's stand as we pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word this morning. And in a society where these types of topics can be very difficult, I think the church is the place that these type of topics need to be addressed. Lord, as we sing this morning, I pray that we know you as our Lord and Savior. I pray that we have an assurance of our salvation. I pray that we really understand what it means to live for you. Not just to say it, but to believe it and to live it out. We love you, Lord. We thank you for the men and for the women that you have redeemed and placed in this church. I thank you for so many faithful servants for so many faithful years that invested so many faithful hours into our lives as men and as women. Lord, we love you and we thank you for who you are. We pray this in Christ's name.